with the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. How are you feeling today? What's going on with you? Those of you who are regular listeners, of course, know the sound of our theme song. I wrote that with my friend Chris Latham many, many years ago. He actually wrote the melody while working the Tin Lizzie's at Opryland. You know, those old-timey cars at the amusement parks? He was working that while he was in college at Belmont. I was in college at Belmont, and I was writing this groove well over 30 years ago on a guitar, and I sat there and played this on the keyboard at his studio, and then he laid down the guitar track, and we did all this, and so that's... The, we, we ought to have lyrics. You know what? You guys, if you want, you go to hopeforthecaregiver.com and send me in some lyrics. <laughs> of what we want this theme song to be. But anyway, that's our theme song for those of you who are new to this program, and we welcome you. We're glad that you are here. I launched something a couple years ago uh, that just was heavy on my heart to do, and it's a caregiver support group that meets once a week. And I put out a sign in front of our church here in Montana, this little tiny town, and people started trickling in. The first couple of weeks, nobody showed up. It was just me. So I had a support group of one. And over the years, more and more people have come, and we just sit around, have a cup of coffee for about an hour and a half, and we build one another up as caregivers. We speak fluent caregiver around the table. I didn't have anything like this. And to my knowledge, there isn't much like this for caregivers, to have a weekly support group that is just focused on the caregiver. There are all kinds of support groups out there for you know, family members with Alzheimer's or various different diseases and afflictions, traumatic brain injury, so forth. But there's not one that's just a caregiver-focused support group that I know of, so I started one. We have a really, really good time in this group. It's not what you think. I mean, there is laughter. We cut up. I mean, we do all kinds of things, and it's, it's just an eclectic group of individuals who share the journey of being caregivers. And for 90 minutes a week, we sit around a table and speak fluent caregiver to one another. It's just a great way to to fellowship, and we build one another up. And from what I can hear from all the folks that go to this group, they say we leave each meeting better than when we got there. And to me, that's the most rewarding thing to hear. But I wanted to share with you, and I got permission from him. I'm not going to share his name. Uh, it's a friend of mine who was taking care of his wife with Alzheimer's. And I wanted to share with you something he said the other day that I thought would really resonate with you all. Okay, it, it, it certainly inspired, encouraged me, strengthened me. It, it, it was something with such clarity that I thought, wow, I've got to share this on the air. And I asked him if I could. I told him I wouldn't use his real name. Let's just call him Ted Nugent. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. But his wife with Alzheimer's, peppers him with questions throughout the day. And that's not uncommon when you have somebody with dementia. And it just is relentless. Recently, he had to go on a trip to Salt Lake. He took her with him and back, and he was not prepared for the very long ride where she just constantly asked questions. He said, I was exhausted when I got back. One of the things I do in this group is I go around the table and I just ask people to check in. How are, you, how are you feeling? Just like I do here on this program. How are you feeling? What's going on? And there's a variety of things. And when he mentioned what was going on with his wife and the 
constant question, it sparked another question. So I went around the room and I asked each one there, what does solid ground look like to you? And got a variety of answers. But then this man said this. He looked at me, he said, she kept asking me the same question. And in my heart, I sighed for a moment. And then I said to myself, he's got this. Go ahead and answer her question. And that's solid ground to me, knowing that he's got this. And I thought, what a tremendous statement of faith to look at somebody who is suffering from Alzheimer's, who continues to ask the same question over and over and over. He's, you know he's exasperated. And some of you all really know what that's like, okay? And he stopped himself from getting agitated. And he said, he's got this. Answer her question. He's got this. And I thought, that is a worthy goal for all of us to aspire to. Till we get to that point where we see the constant reminders of the disease, of the affliction, of the impairment. We feel the agitation. We feel the exhaustion and the weariness of it. And yet he wrenched his mind and his heart and his spirit into that great statement of faith. He's got this. Go ahead and act on it and just be kind and answer her question. What do you think about that? Isn't that a marvelous moment? And we all just kind of stop for a moment. And it reminded me of a great scene in the Lord of the Rings. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. And Aragorn, who would be the king of Gondor, um, and Aylmer, who's the king of Rohan, were in this horrific battle. And they met each other on the battlefield. Aragorn had come from the south. Aylmer had come from the, the west. And they met each other on the battlefield. And there was just carnage. Everything was going along. And they took a moment. They were just these great warriors. And they took a moment to lean on their swords and catch up. In the middle of this battle, they just talked to each other. They are just kind of leaning on their swords for a moment to catch up while the battle raged around them. And then they went back to the battle. And to me, that's what it felt like when I listened to this man, that we're going to take a moment, we're going to lean on our swords, we're going to catch up, strengthen one another, and then get back into the battle. He's got this. Go ahead and answer her question. What can you look at in your life? What is going on in your life today, right now, this morning? that you can look at and anchor yourself in the truth of God's word that says he's got this. This has not caught God by surprise. One of the things that I experienced during this last surgical jaunt with Gracie that was so intense, two months in the hospital and Christmas, New Year's, her birthday, you know, all of that was in the hospital. And it's a bit challenging. It's, it's a bit daunting to do what we do, and certainly for as long as we've done it. But I was faced with that same question myself. Do I believe this? And if so, what are the implications? I've been asking that myself a lot lately, and I've been asking this of my fellow caregivers. And I've 
frankly been asking this of my fellow believers. Do we believe this? And if so, what are the implications? Should there not be some type of manifestation of our belief? And I'm not talking about going out and having a parade out there in front of the church or whatever. I'm just talking about should our spirits not be more settled? Should there not be some manifestation of peace in our lives, of contentment, of resolve, if we really believe what we say we believe? So when I heard this man say this around our table at the caregiver support group, he's got this. Go ahead and answer her question. He's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we should preach to ourselves daily. And I think that's part of our journey as caregivers. Are we preaching to ourselves? If our soul is cast down within us, do we preach to ourselves? And not not a three-point sermon that doesn't exegesis of this. I'm talking about just that simple admonition that this man gave to himself in, in the face of his wife's Alzheimer's. He's got this. Go ahead, answer her question. That is hope for the caregiver, that conviction that we can live a calmer, healthier, and dare I say it, a more joyful life, even while serving as a caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. Well, on Friday on our spiritual heritage tour of Washington, D.C., we go to the Arlington National Cemetery, where we see the changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. What a powerful, inspirational ceremony that we see while we're in our nation's capital at the Arlington National Cemetery. In addition, we see all the sites you've read about your entire life and heard about in America's capital, Washington, D.C. So we're going there in June and September as part of our spiritual heritage tour. We're also going to Colonial Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown on a separate tour. You can do both if you want to. For all the information on these tours, which are filling up fast, go to spiritualheritagetours.com. That's spiritual heritagetours.com for all the information on the tours. Hey friends, it's Jessica Peck, Dr. Nurse Mama, as your one-minute parenting coach. Is your house known as the hangout house for your kids and their friends? You might say, no, my house isn't big enough, or we aren't set up to entertain, or I'm really not the cool parent, but those aren't good excuses. Kids today need a safe and comfortable place for in-person socialization. Make your house an open invitation anytime. Open your fridge and pantry to help themselves. Don't worry about your house being messy. Have you seen your kids' rooms? They don't care. Be real and engage them in conversation, being authentically awkward. Invite them into your family space to join you in what you're doing. You never know what a lifeline that might be. I'll see you on the Dr. Nurse Mama radio show right here on American Family Radio.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. You know, obviously, about last block, uh, I ought to have a thing where you guys, y'all send us some lyrics for the song. We, maybe we'll f- figure out which one's the best one, and I'll get Gracie to sing it when she starts getting better. What do you think? Because she said, Gracie was very worried. She said, look, I've got to get my voice into shape. I said, well, you got time, darling. You, you're just now three months out of surgery. So, you know, give yourself a little bit of, of, of grace here. And yet, it would be kind of fun to have her uh, sing this song. <laughs> this is the theme for Peter's show. All right, enough of that frivolity and jocularity. I've been having a conversation ongoing with several different caregivers in the midst of their caregiving, and I've challenged them, and I'm going to challenge you because I've challenged myself. I do not subscribe to this belief that we, as caregivers, wait until the circumstances of our loved ones change before we start changing. You all know that. If you've listened to this show for any amount of time, you're going to know that the point is that we change no matter what's going on around us, that we can improve, we can get healthier. And I recognize that we are constrained by our journey as caregivers. I get that. I, I, I really get that. Now, give you, let me give you some context. I've been a caregiver since I was 22. I asked Gracie to marry me when I was 22 years old. Bless her heart for her lack of judgment. But here we are, <laughs> 38 years later. During that entire time, I have been her caregiver. Now, some days have not been quite as dire as others. And then some days have been extremely dire. I mean, when you have the kind of journey we've had. So at some point, and I can't remember exactly when, but I had to make a pivotal decision that this is not going to change. So therefore, I must. I kept thinking if we could get just get around that corner, if we could just get over that hill, then... I can be settled and content and learn to be productive. This is what's holding me back. And so we've got to get through this. And I would strive towards this. I'm not, I'm not by any means proud of these things. I mean, I'm horrifically embarrassed by it. But I'm sharing these things with you because I believe that so many of you have those same kind of feelings. If we could just get through this, if he would just stop doing this, if she would just stop doing this, if we could just get mama onto Jesus, if we could just, if, 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 then I could be productive, then I could be at peace, then I could be successful, all of those things. Now, if I'm the only one that has had this internal conversation, so be it. But I don't think I am. All right? So if you've had this internal conversation, then I'm talking to you, okay? This is, this is for you. This is just you and me now. Two people who have had these types of thoughts that have weighed heavy on us, and it's changed our behavior. It's forced us into a pattern of striving and, and uh, unsettledness, unrest, uh, angst, that is at times overpowering, okay? So just so we're on the same page, just you and me, all right? Here's what happened with me. 
once I made that decision that this is my life, this is the way it is, it's not going to change anytime soon. I cannot affect what has happened to Gracie. I didn't cause it. I can't change it. All I can do is care for her in this. And the best way to care for her is to make sure that I am productive, healthy, spiritually, emotionally, physically, financially, professionally, all of the above. You've heard me say it now hundreds of times. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. I am no good to Gracie if I am fat, broken, miserable. I am no good to Gracie if I stroke out. I cannot guarantee that things won't happen to me, but I live my life in a way to to protect that so that I don't take unnecessary risk. The other day I went out on a snowmobile after feeding the horses. I feed the horses on, I have a little sled that I pull behind the snowmobile and, and I feed the horses, uh, pull the hay out there. And it's, it's quite enjoyable, I must say. And then I decided to take a ride around just to check out all the new snow and everything else here on the, the place. I texted our son and I said, look, if you don't hear from me in an hour, call the guy down the road. His name is Kevin. He'll come out and he'll come find me. And, uh, but I told him where I was going. Well, now, a lot of people don't think that way, but I have to. Gracie can't take care of herself right now. And she needs to know where I am. Somebody needs to know where I am in case something happens. Things can happen out here in Montana on the, you know, on the frozen tundra. Uh, you know, it's, there's no lifeguard on duty. So I don't take stupid chances. And then I came on back. And then later that night, about six hours later, he said, oh, yeah, Dad, sorry, I forgot to call <laughs> to check on you. So I was like, well, I could have been out there just frozen in the, in the creek. So when I go snowmobiling from now on, I'll make better arrangements to make sure somebody knows where I am. Uh, thanks, Gray. But uh, that's our son. But. No, he's, he checked on me, but it was just a little bit later. <laughs> Those are little things. But the purpose of this conversation right now is not to say that I am constrained because I don't feel like I am. I am tethered. I am tethered to this situation with Gracie, and I have been since I was 22. That's not going to change until one of us steps into glory. Okay? Those are the, those are the facts. We're just going to deal with facts. I am tethered to this but I'm not hostage to it. I'm not prisoner to it. And I think this is the mindset that I would like for my fellow caregivers to understand is that we can accept that we're tethered, that this is part of it, but we're not hostage. And within the arc of that tether, whatever that looks like for you and me, we could be productive. So if you think about it is I have a tether to my ankle that's tethered to Gracie's wheelchair. That thing, I will stretch that thing out as far as I can to be a, as productive within that circle around her. And sometimes I have to move her so that I can have a bigger circle. And I, I've done that, and that's okay. But I'm not hostage. I don't spend my time trying to figure out how to cut the tether. What I spend my time doing is how do I be productive given these particular realities in my life? That was a huge mental shift for me. Some people don't want to make that shift, and I get it. Some people don't want to do that. That's fine. But I believe that there are many of you who are seeking something like that, who recognize that you're in a situation that is unchangeable, 
and you're tired of fighting, as Paul said, kicking against the bricks. I mean, you're just, you're just tired of it. And again, I've said this, I don't know how many times, I'd love to tell you that I'm wise. I would love to tell you that I'm spiritually mature, but we all know better. I'm just tired. It is exhausting to strive like this. And when you get tired enough, you will be open to look at this from a different perspective. Well, maybe this might be a better way to look at this, you know, whatever that looks like. And for me, that's exactly what happened. And I realized that my invitation was to be productive where I was. I love Jeremiah 29. Everybody talks about Jeremiah 29, 11. And they say, well, I know the plans I have for you. And everybody talks about this blessing and blessing and blessing you're going to get because God knows you. But they don't read the, the context. And I saw a Valentine uh, pickup line from uh, Bad Theology pickup lines. And it, the guy was asking, the girl says, is your name Context? Because I'd like to take you out. <laughs> you know, take you out of context. I thought that was funny. All right, I digress. However, in Jeremiah 29, if you go back and read it, God is saying through Jeremiah, hey, look, I put you here. The Israelites were in captivity in Babylon. And he said, you're not here to sit there and lament about this. Build your house, plant your vineyards, get married, have kids, have grandkids. I know where you are. I know the plans I have for you, but you're going to stay right here until I'm ready to move you. Preachers don't want to talk about that particular aspect unless they're having overcrowding problems at the church because that's when people start to leave. Nobody wants to hear that. They want to hear God's going to get me out and give me my victory, give me my breakthrough. He's already given you your breakthrough. That was at the cross. Now we're going to have some more understanding about this and that you can be productive right where you are, even as a caregiver. And I will give you proof. I've been a caregiver again since I was 22. I have written four books, published books. I've written hundreds of commentaries that have been published in Fox News, WebMD, USA Today, uh, AARP, all kinds of stuff. I have the nation's largest podcast for caregivers. I think, from what I understand, the world's largest podcast. I have the world's largest broadcast here on this network for family caregivers. I have managed a medical nightmare that is well over now $15 million with 100-plus doctors, 13 different hospitals, seven different insurance companies, and it's ongoing. It's relentless. I cook. I clean. I do the laundry. I can, I iron. You know, y'all know I love to iron. I love to iron. I ironed a shirt this morning just to be able to come here to do this program. <laughs> I have produced two full-length CDs. I've written songs that not only have Gracie and I performed, but other people have recorded. I have performed on stages with Gracie all over the country, on national television, all the above. And I've done all of that while a caregiver. Now, is it because I'm so special? Well, I don't think so. It's because I choose to believe the principle we discussed in the last block when that guy said at the caregiver support group, He's got this. Answer the question. Deal with the reality in front of us, knowing that he's got this. And it frees me up. I don't have to strive over figuring out how this is going to all make sense. I don't have to figure out how to solve Gracie's amputation problem or chronic pain problem or surgery problem. I don't have to figure that out. I can be productive today. I don't have to wait to get over to the next hill. I can do something today that has value trusting that God's got this and it's okay. Do you realize the burden that takes off of all of us? And so I challenge you 
many of you feel constrained, and I get that feeling. I truly get it. I truly get it. But what would happen if you just shifted that thought process just a little and thought, maybe I'm not constrained, maybe I'm just tethered, but inside this ark, God knows where I am, and I could be productive and trust Him with all the other. I can be obedient right where I am. I can bloom where I'm planted. And that is hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. Today's issues, President Trump has never been convicted of insurrection. No. But that is the word that was tossed around immediately following January 6th by all the Democrats. Yes. And all of the people, the talking heads, I think they were priming the pump to create out of thin air the connection to the 14th Amendment. Today's issues, weekday mornings at 11 Eastern, 10 Central on American Family Radio. We don't have to be like the 10 that said it can't be done, it's too big, the giants are too big. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb and say, you know what, there are giants. This is a massive problem. When you have a, a nation that is ignorant of the of the principles that produce a free society, start where you can. It's, it's the only way I know. It's a little bit at a time. Join Walker Wildman and Rick Green as they tackle today's issues from a biblical and a constitutional perspective. At the core, 1 p.m. Central weekdays on AFR. Are you tired of so-called news that's really just propaganda? It's supposed to inform us, but so many outlets are doing nothing more than trying to indoctrinate us to an evil worldview. You need and deserve a news source you can trust. That's American Family News. From politics... Big Social is censoring presidential candidates. MRCCentertrack.org found 169 cases of censorship so far against candidates running for president in 2024. To world events... Spokesperson Daniel Hagari saying soldiers are coming face to face with what he describes as Hamas terrorists. And events here at home... Generations of self-described evangelicals who since at least 2008 have been backing away from the word, according to data compiled by pastor and statistician Ryan Burge. It's news on current events from an evangelical Christian perspective. American Family News, on the air and online at AFN.net. There will be times when your peace can't be found. You cry for help, yet you hear back no sound. You feel there's no one on whom you can rely. You think your battle's lost. So why try? Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger, HopeForTheCaregiver.com, HopeForTheCaregiver.com. I want to introduce you to someone who's been a part of this program for some time. You just didn't know it. And this is Pat Montague. She is our producer. And she's in Mississippi. I'm in Montana. And uh, you are wherever you are. So we are all scattered across the Fruited Plains. And I am thrilled to have Pat talk about her journey as a caregiver, her 
journey with this program, and she is helping me shape this and take this message, and uh, she serves as a great sounding board. Uh, so I thought we'll take a little bit of time to let her address you all, talk to you guys, and uh, you get to know her a little bit more, like I have had the privilege of doing so. So, Pat, welcome to the program. Thank you. How are you, you. feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. <laughs> Given the year that you've had, that's a good statement for you to make, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. We have had... Um, it, it feels like trial by fire. Uh, I think that's what it always feels I like. I think trial by flamethrower in your <laughs> case. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you know, when you get on the other side of the big crisis, it's easy to, when you're looking for them, to look back and see so many kindnesses of the Lord as he literally prepared our path uh, without our knowing it to walk this walk. And um, when you can look back and see that it is sweet, even though it was terrifying and it still is because we're not out of the woods completely. Um, being able to find those Ebenezer's along the way where the Lord showed up, made his presence known and you didn't even realize it until you were already, you know, way down the road to be able to stop and go, thank you, Father. It's, it's a pretty big blessing in itself. Well, give us some context to this, because these particular woods that you're talking about, they're not going to end anytime soon. No, no. But and there are bright spots. What happened? Um, early spring of last year, so April-ish, my husband began not feeling well, just generally not feeling well. And we, we, he went to his doctor, and she, in my opinion, did not take it seriously enough. But she prescribed this and that and the other, and so sent him home. And I... Within a couple of weeks, sent him back and said, you need to have her test for this particular bacteria in your stomach because he could not eat. It was, it was as if everything he put on his stomach would upset it or cause pain. And so they laughed him off at first. They said, if you have that, it's going to be really hard to get rid of. So we are not going to worry about it. And I finally said, oh, yes, you are. You are going to worry about it. We want the test. And it was a simple blood test for H. pylori bacteria. So they, they did that finally. And it came back with a raging result. So they put him on three different types of antibiotics. Very, very strong. And instead of getting better, he just continued to get worse. More malaise, loss of strength. Now at this point, he's lost about 20 pounds um, beyond what he had set out to lose at the beginning of the year. And so uh, he would call back to his doctor's office with the idea of making an appointment. They'd ask what's going on. He would tell them. They would switch him to the nurse and the nurse would say, okay, well, let's cut back on this and let's increase that and call me back in a week. So we went about three weeks like that. And it That's just why kept, they call it practicing medicine. Apparently. Level. It just got worse and worse and worse to the point that 
I mean, it was all he could do to stand and walk to the bathroom and walk back to the bed. He just did not have anything to give for anything. So uh, long story short, I finally said, okay, we're going to the doctor today and we're going to sit in the waiting room until they see you. And I don't care if we're there for 24 hours, somebody's going to see you. And we did that. We sat for probably a couple, three hours waiting to be worked in. They finally got him into the lab, drew blood, told us to go home after we had consulted with a nurse practitioner for about an hour, told us to go home, um, make these dietary changes, do this, continue on this med, and we'll see you in a week. So we made the appointment to follow up, went home, and one o'clock the following morning, the phone rings. And my husband wears hearing aids, so he didn't ha- did not have them in to sleep. And he handed the phone off to me to say, listen to this. I don't know what they're talking about. And the doctor had left a voicemail, and basically it was the doctor in Memphis who reviewed this blood result, who said, I need you to get to an emergency room now or come to Memphis to the VA emergency room because you are too, you are your blood is extremely low and we have got to get some blood in you. So that's a fine wake up call at yeah, one in the morning, yeah. isn't it? John was, he was totally, um, what's the right word? Um, annoyed. And he said, <laughs> I'll deal with it in the morning. I'm going back to bed. So the next morning I got up, came to work. He got up and went, was going to his doctor's office to say, listen to this and tell me what this means. And, um, before he could even get out of the truck, they were watching for him. They had seen the results, they, and she called him and said, John, don't even get out of the car. Go get a bag put together, grab your wife, and go to Memphis to the ER. So that's what we did. He walked into the ER on his own, and that's the last time he's ever walked by himself. The results of the blood had said he was like three quarts low, <laughs> so to speak, Um, They started a blood infusion immediately. He had two in the ER. They admitted him, had another one in the room. So he had three pints of blood, and they started testing because he was still having pain in his stomach. All of his uh, systems were completely doing backwards things. Nothing was working the way it should. So they started trying to stabilize him, figure out what was going on, and nobody paid any attention to this little lump that he had in his thigh. We had not paid any attention to it because it had not been painful. We were more concerned with the blood. Well, as it turns out, um, again, long story short, the lump in his thigh turned out to be a sarcoma, a very aggressive, rare type of sarcoma, that um, was actually responsible for the blood loss. Because as the sarcoma was growing, it was both feeding off of his tissue and feeding off of his blood. And around the head of the sarcoma, when they finally scanned it, they found where that area was bleeding. And according to what we were told, as it would enlarge with the blood seeping, then the tissues around the tumor would absorb that blood over the course of a few days. Then the size would go back down a bit 
and then it would allow it to bleed again. So the tumor itself was allowing bleeding and then cutting off the bleeding and then allowing it again. The reason I mention the H. pylori is because we have since done some research and talked with some other medical professionals. And in the case of aggressive cancers, very often they are finding that the bacteria H. pylori has been present previously. And in treating that H. pylori, because it is so hard to treat, the immune system of the patient is suppressed to the point that it actually enables the tumor to take off like a rocket. And then as those antibiotics are being tapered off from the system and they're getting out of the system when you finish that course, now your immune system is trying to fight back and attack this foreign invader, which is the sarcoma, and very often that is when the patient begins to see difficulties, begins to have various symptoms, and it is often postponing the ability of a medical professional to actually diagnose what the major problem is. So by that time, they actually started looking at it seriously, referred us to a cancer specialist that was outside of the hospital because they suspected it was in the bone. It had grown such a large amount that, again, long story short, he wound up having to have his entire leg amputated. And when you say entire leg, being that Gracie and I are certainly familiar with amputations and everything that we do with Standing With Hope, this is what you call a hip disarticulation. Correct. And it is all the way up to the hip. So it's not just a leg amputated. It's almost like a double amputation. It Um, is. It, um, it is the most challenging lower limb amputation you can have. Um, and a prosthesis is very difficult for patients like John. Yes, extremely. In fact, so difficult that at this point, he has decided not to pursue getting a prosthesis. We made that decision. I should say he made that decision after his second follow-up with his surgeon. And he just was very honest and said... I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. However, I have only seen about 2% of patients with your type of amputation who were able to use a prosthetic and only part of the time. And he said that the reason that is, is because in order to make it functional for walking, it is extremely difficult to sit in. To make it comfortable to sit in, it's not as functional when you're trying to walk with it. And walking with it is absolutely the point of it. So at this point, he is not even going to pursue having a prosthetic. We're talking with producer of this program, Pat Montague, and she is telling her journey. And I think you've picked up that Pat's a fighter. She's an advocate. And had she not stepped up, John would not be alive today. And we're going to talk a little bit more about her courage, her strength, her stamina, and where it comes from when we come back. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? 
She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa.net. Again, that's psalm91 at afa.net. What a difference you've made in my life. What a difference you made Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. We're talking with Pat Montague. She's the producer of this program. She has been helping me shape this from you know, all the way across the country. She's out in Mississippi at the headquarters of AFA, American Family Association, and I'm out here in Montana. And she has helped guide this program. And whether you realize it or not, she's been such a big part of it. She and I have regular conferences every week to go over stuff, to to uh, bang things around and ideas around. And then she found herself in the midst of this tremendous crisis with her husband. And uh, Pat has been taking care of her sister with some issues that she's had. And she thought, well, this show is helpful to me in that. And then she was thrown headfirst into a situation that is going to have long-term implications for her and her family for, for the rest of their lives. As her husband has dealt with cancer, he lost his leg all the way to the hip. Wearing a prosthesis right now is just not feasible. Um, a hip disarticulation prosthesis is very hard to, to navigate with and do. They can do them. We've done two in Ghana. We, we did the first one in Ghana, from what I understand, with Standing With Hope. But that was on a, a young man who had uh, nothing else going on other than this leg. He didn't have cancer issues. It was from a trauma. John's situation is much different, Pat. Yes. And as you have now spent months and months into this, you're seeing that. What are your and, and I got to tell you, I was really impressed by how much of a tiger you were to go after this. I mean, you 
Pat is not a a large lady, you all. She's a very diminutive person. <laughs> and to have this energy coming out of her where she was ready to just throw down, she's, you know, tear, tear it off the gloves and throw them on the ground. She's ready to go after these people. It, it's, uh, it's, it's rather stark when you, if you ever met her because you wouldn't see this side of her until evidently you really get her uh, hackles up and then she goes after you like a pit bull. <laughs> and uh, and I, I'm really quite awed by what you've done because you saved his life. Well, I think the Lord intervened, and um, had we not gotten the kind of attention we did by the kind of doctor we did, we probably would be talking about a whole different outcome. But again, the kindnesses of the Lord, you have to be able to look for those, recognize them, and be grateful. Um, We were talking the other day as we were coming back from having some dinner out, he said, We have so many things to be grateful for and thankful for. And none of them had anything to do with our ability. They had everything to do with the Lord and his timing and his persistence of speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. I I can't say that enough. We found out when we went for the last checkup with the cancer bone doctor that they took his, the, the ball of the leg that fits into the hip socket. They took that as well. They took anything that had any connection with that sarcoma. And by the time they got it, it had begun to penetrate the bone. So now we have scans that we do every three months looking for any sign of spreading or reappearing somewhere else. And there is... How do you you handle that when you go to those tests? I mean, is your heart your throat kind of thing? Uh, uh, sometimes, you, what, how do you do? especially that very first one, that very first one we went to in December of last year. Yeah, my heart stayed in my throat nearly the whole time until we got the word that he was all clear. We knew it did not appear to have gotten into his lymph nodes. It had, as doctor said, just penetrated the, the bone through the sheathing. So he was very optimistic that taking what he did would create a situation where he would have no more cancer in his body if it had not already migrated. And so that's what we're watching for now, to make sure that it had not migrated anywhere else. Uh, Statistics say there's a 40% chance that it will reappear, uh, either in his lungs or somewhere else. And so that's the reason why we, every three months, are getting all these scans to make sure that we're on top of that. As you look forward in your life, I mean, this is this is a long journey. This is you're you're no longer in a sprint. This is not something that uh, a speed bump. Uh, this is your life now, and and you know this. What are some things that you're seeing change in you? Mm. Whether it's your your understanding of God's provision, your prayer life. Did you know that you were this kind of a fighter? Did you know uh, that that you had this in you? What, what are some things that you've seen in you? Wow. Um, I have learned that leaning on the Lord for whatever he has in store is much more comfortable than resisting and fighting and um, railing against what I don't like. I would have not chosen amputation for my husband, I'll be honest, he had other options that he could have taken, but he 
said, take the leg. I was astounded when he made that decision. I didn't agree with it at the time. Now I certainly do. But leaning into the Lord and saying, Father, whatever you have, I will submit myself to it. And then being willing to do that, because they're not the same thing, um, makes a huge difference in the way things come out. You can rail and fight, and you're not going to change your perspective. You're not going to change your circumstance for any, any amount of money. And so yielding and, and just saying, Lord, have your way and help me to accept it have been huge lessons for me. And it, it has not come easy because, yes, I've always known I had that part of my personality that I was willing to go toe-to-toe when I knew I was right. Um, did, did John know that? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, he did, knew that. <laughs> did John know that you... <laughs> he very well knew I, that. I, just, I didn't know if he was familiar with that part of you that... Yeah. <laughs> well, next month we'll be married 46 years. So, yeah, he, he kind of had an idea. Yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he had a sneaking suspicion that his wife was a, a bit fiery at times. Uh, well, that it came into play. And I, I get that. I mean, I think there's a point where... It's exhausting to strive against reality. Absolutely. And and here here we are. We're we're okay. We're gonna. And you and I both understand a journey that a lot of people don't. We both have had spouses who chose to have their bodies altered in, with amputation, and it is a um, it, it is a hard to describe experience unless you've been there. I mean, to, of what that's like, and and so here you are. But at the same time, you have shown remarkable uh, resilience, faith. You have leaned into Christ uh, through this thing and trusted Him with the the unimaginable. And it's it's uh, it's it's really quite moving that you are at the helm of producing this program. To me, to know that I've got somebody who is helping prepare this message and this broadcast every week. Who, who understands this? And uh, what are your hopes for caregivers as you move forward in, in this program and what we're doing through AFR and everything else? What are your hopes as we close out this time? What, what do you want to see the impact of this program that you are producing? Uh, what do you want to see? I don't fool myself into thinking that everybody who listens to this program knows Christ. I will say that if that's the case for you as an individual, that you are not leaning on God and you are not letting Christ be the head of your situation, that would be my first hope, that you would recognize your need of him and submit yourself for his salvation and healing of your soul. Because only through that do you really understand so many things about where you are right now. Um, Beyond that, I would like to see people who find themselves in this position be able to immediately embrace what they're being told, not fight, not rail, because you made the statement several programs ago, several months ago, that the struggle is in the, I lost my word, the struggle is in the non-acceptance. I probably don't have that right. But basically, 
it becomes more difficult when we fight against it. You know, Paul, the Apostle Paul said, um, you know, Kick it against the brick. Exactly. Um, we, and, and, and it is. It's, it's, it's refusing to accept reality. Yes. And, and we, we want to shape it to our own desires because we just don't like this rather than trust him with it. We are mortal beings. We have no ability to shape our reality despite what the culture tells us. And being able to lean on the best source of hope, which is Christ, through something like this is absolutely, I couldn't have done it otherwise. I would have been a puddle on the floor and not been any worth to John or anyone else, let alone myself. So, yeah, I would pray that they would have such a hunger to know more Christ, more of Christ, that nothing else would matter, even the situation they're in. Put Christ first. Mm. Well said. Now you understand why I had her on the program and why I'm so grateful that she is producing this program. This is Pat Montague. She is, she is one of us. <laughs> she, she is, um, uh, but she is doing something about it and she is helping me better do what I do here. And uh, we're carrying this message out with the great assistance of American family radio. We are going on the offense to reach into the isolation and the heartache that caregivers feel. Uh, we take our own wounds, but we let our, our scars speak. Mm. Uh, we we let our um, trust in God as we've seen him as she said we raise our Ebenezer these are things that, that mean something to others who are going through this and I want you to know Pat I appreciate you taking the time to do this on the program today and share your heart and uh, we'll have many more conversations I'm sure and, uh, and, and by the way don't think for one moment that Pat doesn't turn that fiery stuff on me too because <laughs> she'll say no we're not going to do that <laughs> Uh, she'll do it too uh, So, uh, and I'm grateful for her listen we've got to go this is Peter Rosenberger this is Hope for the Caregiver hopeforthecaregiver.com thank you again Pat for being a part of the program my pleasure we'll see you all next time bye the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio